Welcome back to The Common Christian Diet. I'm Paige, and I'm excited to share this episode with you today. I want to give music credit to Debbie Forrest. That's her song called Born Bad. In the first episode, I was basically given an overview of why I started The Common Christian Diet and who might be my target audience. And I made two promises. I won't be encouraging anyone to go on any specific diet, and I won't be guilt-tripping anyone into going to church. That doesn't mean I don't believe in eating right and going to church. It just means that I want to help people be healthy. And to do that, I want to offer information, not guilt trips. The Common Christian Diet is a series of stories that I'm going to tell on how I got healthy, both physically and spiritually. It took me years to get to a place where I could call myself healthy, and I'm still working at it every day. Healthy and perfect are completely different destinations, so I don't want to paint myself as someone who is setting the standard for all others to follow. I just want to share how I learned to make some better choices. But as I look back, the most significant changes in my life were basically just uncovering lies I believed and replacing those lies with truth. The biggest lie many Christians believe is that we don't really need to know anything about Christ to be a Christian. Now, we don't actually say this out loud, and the thought may have never crossed our minds, but that's what many of us believe, and we believe it because that's how we live. The truth is that the only way we can follow Christ is to learn about him and get to know him personally. In my first story, I shared about the turning point in my life, the point where I decided to finally put God in charge of my life. I was about 34 a single mother of a young boy working in a dog-eat-dog world, and I was just plain exhausted. I kept trying to fix things myself, and the problems never got any better. I was praying, and I was going to church. But I didn't know much more about Jesus, except that he was born of a virgin, died on a cross, and he's the reason I get to go to heaven. So because I barely knew him, I had no idea how to put him in charge of my life. Today's podcast is called Stepping on the Scale. It's about finding our starting point. That might sound a little too simple, but I mean the real starting point. I mean, when we tell ourselves it's just water weight, but we step on the scale to discover we've gained 20 pounds. Or we think we eat a healthy diet, but the last vegetable we remember consuming was ketchup. Now, stepping on the scale is not easy. It's not. It's so much easier to tell myself my pants must have shrunk in the dryer than admit my ice cream addiction. It's easier to stop for takeout than to meal plan. It's easier to say we're too busy to exercise than to put down the remote and lace up some walking shoes. Now, stepping on the scale is not about perfection. It's not about strict diets and rigorous exercise. It's not about trying to be a perfect size whatever. It's about honesty. It's about truth. And it's about identifying some of those hidden lies that we believe. Let me start with a little background on my physical health over the decades. I have been a little bit of everything, from a teenage girl who hid herself in baggy clothing to a young woman who revealed way too much to get attention. I have starved myself. I have binged and purged. I spent time in a normal weight. I gained the freshman 15. And I have been a marathon runner, Muay Thai kickboxer, I have stood on stage in a bikini for a bodybuilding contest, and I literally won $5,000 in one of those before and after contests you see in magazines. 
If you're wondering, yes, my picture probably still lives on the internet somewhere holding my first place Happy Gilmore check since nothing digital ever really disappears. But the truth is that no matter how good or bad I looked, I was never healthy at any of those stages. I either wasn't taking care of myself at all or I was obsessed with being fit. For example, when I was in college, I got hooked on these instant cappuccinos that tasted sweet and gave me the energy to study. I don't even remember eating all that much in college, but it didn't matter because I drank like a bazillion calories a day in sugar. I'm pretty sure that at some point someone mentioned there was a lot of sugar in a cappuccino. Now, this was the mid-90s. This was before Starbucks sold its first latte in Michigan, so I'm not talking about fancy coffee. I'm talking about the cafeteria-style machine where they pour a powdery mix in the top that dissolves in hot water and fills your cup with this foamy coffee-like substance. And when I was studying for an organic chemistry test the next day, this stuff was gold. But it was full of sugar, and when someone pointed that out to me, I blew it off. So what? I need this stuff. Besides, I went to school at Michigan Technological University in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. I know, lots of people forget Michigan has an Upper Peninsula, but if you can find Lake Superior on a map, just go a little south. Anyway, it's cold at Michigan Tech pretty much year-round. If I didn't need my cappuccino to help me study, I was drinking it to stay warm. I'm not going to lie, I was drinking at least two of these a day. But at some point, I stepped on the scale and I had gained 10 pounds. Now, I'm only 5 foot 2, so 10 pounds is a lot. And it was a hard habit to break. But I finally took a look at my diet and said, I need to make some changes. Then after college, I got in shape. In fact, I got in great shape. And that's when I began obsessing over every calorie I ate and every inch of my body. Being physically fit didn't become a goal in my life. It became my identity. I didn't eat to feed my body. I ate to glorify it. I hated the negative attention I got as a teenager, but I loved the attention I got later on. It became a big driver in my life. Being fit, or rather being seen as a fit person, was so important to me that it caused me to make decisions that weren't really good for me. I turned down invitations to events, refused to travel anywhere without a gym, and even broke relationships if they didn't support my fitness goals. Now, if anyone would have pointed out to me that being fit was an obsession in my life and it wasn't good for me, I would not have listened. I mean, why would anyone tell me my six-pack abs were a bad thing? So stepping on the scale is about seeing ourselves more clearly. As I mentioned in the last episode, God will let us walk down our own path. But how far off the trail have we gone? How long have we traveled in the wrong direction? Are we really healthy? What is our baseline and how are we measuring ourselves? Who are we listening to and who are we trying to please? Now, we can't answer these questions in a single episode. Today, we are just introducing the idea that we need help seeing ourselves more clearly. Sometimes, we are way out of balance and we don't even know we are falling over. Now, physically, if we hit a turning point in our lives and make the decision to get healthy, there are plenty of people out there who can point us in the right direction. We can get a physical, meet with a nutritionist, find healthy recipes online, join a gym, stop smoking, try meditation, do a sleep study, hire a trainer, and so much more. 
Who we turn to depends on what we want to accomplish. Is it losing weight, running a half marathon, bench pressing 300 pounds, lowering our cholesterol, or just trying to get our kids to eat more vegetables? Now, not everyone out there who claims to be an expert is truly helpful, but there are definitely plenty of resources available. But when we talk about resources for our spiritual side, things can get tricky. When I was a common Christian, I didn't know what it looked like to be spiritually healthy. I had never opened my Bible, and my understanding of Christianity came almost entirely from other people who had never opened their Bibles. It was easy to say, church is full of hypocrites. It was easy to pray when I was in trouble and forget God existed the rest of the week. It was easy to say, well, they just don't know what I'm going through, if someone actually tried to advise me in any way. So my spiritual diet was the equivalent of pizza and cheesy poofs. They went down easy enough, but offered zero nutritional value. When I was in college, I discovered my diet wasn't very healthy and I made some changes, but I had no idea my spiritual diet was in bad shape too. I was 34 before I had a wake-up call that I wasn't living right. But what did living right look like? And who do I turn to? Every Christian I knew was just like me. Church on Sunday and then do what you want the rest of the week. If you remember from the first episode, I wrote a series of stories about five years ago on how I got healthy. Today's story is about how God started connecting me with people who could lead me towards Him. People I could trust, who could show me what a healthy spiritual life with Jesus looked like. This story is called, Lord, when I forget to invite you, please trespass. I personally recognized God's helping hand when my son was in the second grade. I'm not trying to suggest that this was the first time God ever helped me, just one of the first occasions where I recognized a physical blessing. Maybe I never noticed before because I didn't actually want God's help. Praying to a distant God is one thing, but experiencing God's touch is entirely different and I wasn't ready for it. It meant he heard me could see me. Knowing I wasn't invisible instantly gave me the feeling that I was attending a Broadway show in my pajamas. I needed help, but didn't want God to see me. Not yet. I wasn't ready for him. My son's entire elementary school was putting on a performance at the end of the school day, and the instructions had been sent home weeks earlier. White shirt, blue pants, no problem. I appreciated the advance notice because it was at a time in my life when I was struggling to do it all. Some days I was literally deciding between putting gas in my car or going to the store for milk because I didn't have time for both. But this performance was really important to my son, so I made sure to double-check his wardrobe for the required items. Somehow, though, it slipped my mind that kids have a habit of growing and I never asked him to try anything on. The morning of the performance, I realized my mistake as I heard my son's panicked cry when the button and the buttonhole refused to come together. Dropping him off at school in something other than blue pants, I promised to go shopping at lunch and he would be ready for the performance. He trusted me with my mommy confidence, but I knew it would take a miracle to pull it off. Pulling out of the parking lot during my 30-minute lunch break, I wasn't even sure which way to point my car. 
I worked in the chemical industry, and the nearest clothing store was stocked with steel-toed boots and various brands of fire-retardant coveralls. I picked a direction and began praying one of those clever prayers where you ask God to get you out of trouble and you promise you'll never, ever mess up again. I made a few random turns and noticed a small clothing store that I had passed by a thousand times before but never entered. I gave in to the urge to turn into the parking lot. Oh God, please don't let me be wasting my time. I went straight to the boys' section and started looking for his size. Nothing. Then I slowed myself down and realized the pants I was searching through weren't even blue. Rack after rack, no blue pants. Out of desperation, I turned towards the girls' section and mentally began preparing a speech for my son on how no one would even notice they were girls' pants unless he told them. Near the aisle, on the end of a nearly all-pink rack of shirts, I saw the most handsome pair of navy pants. Even the size was perfect. As I stared at the gift God set out for me, I could only think, Okay, God, what's the catch? Even I was disappointed in my response to God's blessing. I knew finding the pants in time would take God's help, but I didn't expect to receive it. I whispered several thank yous under my breath as I purchased the item in disbelief and drove back to work. But I didn't actually feel thankful. I wanted my heart to be overwhelmed with emotion as God personally touched my life. But it wasn't. My head was truly thankful, but something was preventing me from experiencing God's gift. It took me a few years to understand my problem. It was guilt. I was wearing a cloak of shame that shielded me from feeling God's love the way he intended. I simply didn't believe I was worthy. Luckily, God does not need my cooperation to bless me. He wanted me to experience his love, but I wasn't prepared to receive it because I was holding on to my sin like a do not enter sign. I tried cleansing myself with hard work and really didn't want God to come too close to my life until I was good enough for his company. Lucky for me, God trespassed anyway, knowing my personal mission was impossible without him. Sometime after the performance, another mom from my son's school started telling me how wonderful her new church was. She knew I already had a church home, but encouraged me to join her the following Sunday. Just try it once, she insisted. I had considered looking for a new church home in the past, but never wanted to walk in and sit alone. Like many engineers, I am not known for being socially adept. I'm never sure when to shake hands or hug. I can be too quiet or overly talkative. And if I get really nervous, I somehow start bragging about myself. Once, when I was at a parent function where I felt intimidated, I awkwardly tried to fit in. Another parent complimented my leather jacket. In my head, I thought, wow, great, I like it too. I was worried about spending the money on it since I had three other jackets at home, but I'm glad I bought it. But when I opened my mouth, I heard myself respond to the compliment with, I have four leather jackets. So, since I didn't feel qualified to sit with strangers, I tried to politely reject my friend's offer to attend her church. She seemed to sense my hesitation and promised to meet me at the door and sit with me through service. Figuring I would never get another offer like that again, I agreed to meet her on Sunday. There are a lot of wonderful churches in the world, and I don't want to preach one Christian denomination over another, but I had an instant connection with this church. 
My friend and I never sat together again because of our schedules, but it meant a lot to me that she walked me through the doors on my first day. Week after week, I sat alone in the pew but was completely alive in the messages. The pastor's sermons didn't feel as much like preaching as teaching. My heart and mind were growing toward God, but my problems at work and home seemed to be growing as well. I started wondering what he wanted me to do. In a rare moment of spontaneity, completely out of character for this planned-out-to-do-list-making lady, I found myself walking up to the pastor after the service ended, asking if he would speak with me. The pastor didn't know me by name, but knew I sat up in the balcony and didn't talk to very many people. I opened the conversation with some generic story about me wanting to learn more about the church and not being sure where to begin. He was a well-trained listener, but considering I have no poker face, I assumed he was waiting for the real reason I was making him late for his lunch plans. He patiently waited while I rambled. Eventually, I got to the point and confessed my needs. I was lonely. I had a hard time making friends, was struggling at work, worried about my son, and thought I was destined to be alone forever because I couldn't date the same guy for more than a few months. I was a pathetic mess. I instantly wanted to take all the words back, but the pastor's face never showed any signs of judgment. As our conversation continued, he described me as someone whose problems hide out in the open. People don't often think to pray for someone who looks like they have it all together. My healthy child and seemingly successful career were a lot more obvious to others sitting near me than my struggle with loneliness or my fears about raising a boy on my own with no father figure. I looked happy and wore the big church smile suggesting I was perfectly fine. And I did have a good life and I knew I was blessed. It didn't seem right wasting God's time on my minor issues when there were plenty of people with real needs out there. I just needed to suck it up, work harder, and stop complaining. I wasn't even sure I wanted help when I asked to speak with the pastor and had no idea what I was expecting him to say. It turns out he had just the right words for me, words that have remained with me on my journey to learn about God's love. At the end of our conversation, he gave me two valuable pieces of advice. He said, get involved and ask people to pray for you. Then he bowed his head and prayed for me. I don't ever remember someone praying specifically for me before, and I wasn't sure I deserved that much of God's attention. It seemed unnecessary, but his prayer for me to be less pathetic, my words, not his, was as sincere as if he was praying for a lost job or a serious health issue. I left church feeling somewhat lifted, but still worried. I could easily find opportunities to get more involved with other Christians, but asking someone to pray for me might be a bit more of a challenge. Didn't that mean I had failed? I wasn't the type that accepted failure, voted smartest and most likely to succeed in high school, graduated magna cum laude in college, completed four marathons, jumped from two airplanes, and taught my son to throw a decent spiral with his youth-sized football. I was no failure. God had made me independent, smart, and strong. I was struggling, yes, but I wasn't the type to throw in the towel. I didn't need prayer. I needed to step up my game. After all, doesn't the Bible say God helps those who help themselves? No, it actually doesn't, and it doesn't teach about independence either. I had a lot to learn about what it truly means to follow Christ. Luckily, the Lord is patient and willing to trespass into my life as many times as it takes until I learn to invite him. So, like I mentioned in my first episode, my stories aren't miraculous. In fact, they are very average. I was a common Christian. 
When I stepped on the scale, I realized I wasn't ready for God to see me and I didn't want him in the details of my life. I thought, if I work hard, God will bless me. If I get in trouble, God will save me. But I didn't want God involved in how I was living, the things I said, the people I hung out with, how I spent my time and money. But living my life the way I wanted to live it drove me to a point where I really did just feel pathetic. I just kept thinking, if I work harder, maybe there's something else I can try. I just need to do more. But I was never going to figure it out on my own because the changes I needed to make all involved Jesus. So God led me to a new church and helped introduce me to people who could introduce me to Jesus. The next episode is called Setting Your Goals. In episode one, I decided to go on a diet, or rather, decided to make major changes in my life. Then episode two, I stepped on the scale to see how big the challenges might be. Then episode three is about making goals and plans. We'll talk about making real changes, not New Year's resolutions. And I also want to go ahead and introduce the fourth episode called Your Personal Trainer. It may seem strange that I'm waiting until the fourth episode to introduce Jesus, but that's how it worked in my life. I didn't know that I didn't know Jesus, so meeting him wasn't a focus in my life right away. I'm going to close with some scripture from Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24. I think this verse fits with the idea of stepping on the scale. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. So go step on the scale and see what God wants to show you about your own life. Thanks for listening. I'm Paige, and this is The Common Christian Diet. Every day.